Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Pramack. On today's show, Republicans begin to feel a Brett bounce and the latest trouble for vaping companies. But first, breaking up Wall Street. Yesterday was the 10-year anniversary of the creation of TARP, which was that giant pool of money the federal government used to bail out big banks at the height of the financial crisis. And using that as a backdrop, Senator Bernie Sanders and California Congressman Brad Sherman introduced legislation that would effectively break up big banks. No single financial institution should be so large that its failure would cause catastrophic risk to millions of Americans or to our nation's economic well-being. So the Senate bill introduced by Sanders would basically require the breakup of any U.S. financial institution with exposure to more than 3% of America's GDP, which works out to around $584 billion. Among those that would be affected are Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, and also some big insurance companies like AIG and MetLife. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway would also be included. Now, the House proposal doesn't yet have a specific figure on it, but in a moment, we'll speak directly with Representative Sherman to see if 3% is also his number. Now, not surprisingly, the banks are not too excited about this. They argue that changes made after the financial crisis have made them much safer and that there's a fundamental role for large financial institutions in the U.S. economy. The bottom line is that none of this is going to become law anytime soon, at least so long as Republicans control Congress and the White House. But it is the sort of populist message that Democrats might use heading into the midterms, particularly after Sanders and his fellow left-wingers had some success getting Amazon to increase its minimum wage to $15 an hour. And at the very least, it reminds Wall Street that not all of D.C.'s regulatory zeal is aimed at Silicon Valley. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Congressman Brad Sherman. But first this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. We're joined by Representative Brad Sherman, Democrat who represents California's 30th district and is also a member of the House Financial Services Committee. So, Congressman, the basic response from Wall Street yesterday was we already got regulated after the financial crisis. We are safer now. Thanks to things like stress tests. Please leave us alone. Why are they wrong? Well, because no amount of regulation and certainly not the modest regulation that's been imposed so far guarantees that they won't go under. The proof of this is the 80 basis point subsidy that they get from the perception that they will be bailed out. Banks in that business, the key is borrowing at a low rate and lending at a higher rate. And you're able to borrow at a lower rate, not only based upon the strength of your balance sheet, but also based on the belief on Wall Street that if that balance sheet were insufficient, Washington would bail you out. And so there are a handful of institutions that get that subsidy because everyone on Wall Street believes, A, yes, it's important to have that safety net, and B, that safety net is being provided only to the various largest institutions who have already proven exactly 10 years ago that if they get in trouble, Congress will bail them out. One of the things 10 years ago, and one of the problems wasn't just size, it was the interconnectedness, right? You know, the fact that these institutions were so integral to the U.S. economy and they were all connected to each other, connected with insurance companies, with mortgage lenders, et cetera. From your perspective, how does the bill you're proposing address or does it the interconnectedness issue as opposed to mainly the size issue? It deals with the size issue. 
And it sounds like, you know, you go on these diets and they say, uh, as long as you don't eat this particular food, you'll be okay. Or don't mix this food with that food. No, the key is total caloric intake. And these giant banks are now more than 50% larger than they were at the time of the meltdown. And uh, even if interconnectedness were a factor, that's a very hard thing to define. And what you'll find in most economic regulation and tax issues, all the complicated number stuff, is that policymakers responsible to the public may give you a good top line, but the details tend to be controlled by the industry. And so to say, oh, we don't need to regulate the big important thing that the public can focus on, but we promise that the details will work out okay, really puts us uh, at the mercy of those who will deal with the details. Regulations on interconnectedness, could you imagine having a, uh, a town hall on those? Congressman, if this were to become law, and the large institutions were to break up into a bunch of smaller institutions. How did those smaller institutions or how do you address the risks they may be taking? So I think back, for example, something like the SNL crisis, which wasn't because you had a couple very large SNLs. It was because you had lots of small ones that were all taking very bad risk. If you have regulation that is as terrible as what we did for SNLs in the 1980s, nothing will save you. But a reasonable bank regulation scheme combined with an understanding that maybe one bank will go under from time to time. Once a century, two or three times a century, one bank will go under and it will be dealt with just as we lost Toys R Us or Circuit City. It will be a part of what happens in a capitalist society and it won't be good, but we'll go on and we won't tear at the social fabric of the country. We won't bail anybody out. Instead, if you have these giant institutions it's only a matter of time before one of them goes under or is close to going under, calls the White House and says, we're taking the whole economy with us. In addition, these large banks that keep getting larger direct their lending chiefly to large borrowers and sovereign debt uh, around the world. If we can move our economy to banks of regional size, medium size, more money will be lent to small business and communities. And you feel with that, there'll still be enough capital because large businesses will still obviously need loans. And you believe that despite that, there'll still be enough for those large companies? Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, the largest businesses tend not to borrow from banks very much. They borrow on the bond market. So uh, I don't think that uh, often you can put together a syndicate of banks. So there are many countries that have a few businesses as large as our biggest business where that country doesn't have six banks at at 3% of their GDP. So we will do just fine and uh, we will have more competition and we'll have fair competition without a few banks being able to tell their creditors. And remember, they get most of their money by borrowing it and most of it is not FDIC insured because it's not in amounts of under a quarter million. They won't be able to tell their creditors, not only can you rely on our balance sheet, you can rely on Uncle Sam. The small bank can't say that. The medium-sized banks can't say that. And we shouldn't uh, have them face competition from large banks that can't. Congressman, Senator Sanders' bill came out yesterday, the actual text. We haven't seen the actual text of yours yet. So I'm curious, he included this 3% cap, basically 3% of GDP is where this would kick in in his bill. Is that the same number you're thinking of? It's the same number I'm thinking of, but uh, Senator Sanders and I have introduced identical legislation pretty much the last 
four Congresses. He has now made his bill a little bit uh, longer and uh, more sophisticated, more definitive, and uh, we're looking to do the same uh, with our bill. We did introduce uh, the old-fashioned Sanders-Sherman bill earlier this Congress, and we're now uh, uh, catching up to be, uh, if not identical with uh, Senator Sanders' new version, uh, at least more sophisticated than we are now. Obviously, with Republican control of Congress and the White House, this bill won't become law anytime soon. But I'm curious, if Democrats do win the House, do you think a bill like this could at least pass the House with just slight Democratic control? I think it would be very tough. And um, I think that it's important to drive this message home. And I think a lot of important bills take a long time to pass. And uh, you wouldn't turn to somebody in 1956 and say, don't introduce the Civil Rights Act. You can't pass it this Congress. So uh, we'll keep working on it. And uh, a lot depends on this election and what message it sends to the country as a whole. Thinking back to the Civil Rights Act, and you obviously had lots and lots of flare-ups and issues that were in the news every day. Bringing that to this context, do you believe you need a big bank to fail in order to actually someday get this past the finish line? Oh, God, I hope not. And look, we're not talking about nationalizing the banks, destroying the banks. A protozoa, when it reaches a certain size, a one-cell animal reaches a certain size, the healthy thing for it to do is to split into two. And I figure if a protozoa can do that in a healthy basis, uh, our big banks can as well. So from vampire squids to protozoa, Representative Sherman, thank you very much. My final two right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up, Republicans are beginning to feel a Brett bounce. So for months, most of the midterm election talk has been about a blue wave. And in fact, that was the topic of this podcast just two days ago. But top Republicans tell Axios that the Kavanaugh saga has significantly energized their voters, possibly to the point of making the party confident in holding on to the Senate and even gaining in the Senate. So for example, take a look at North Dakota. There's a new Fox News poll out that puts Republican challenger Kevin Kramer up 12 points on incumbent Democrat Heidi Heidkamp, with a former aide to Mitch McConnell telling us, quote, the state now appears out of the reach entirely for Democrats. There's also new polling that puts Missouri Senator Claire McCaskill behind her GOP challenger, Josh Hawley. The bottom line here is that the Brett Kavanaugh situation has gotten both sides of the aisle very worked up, but Democrats were already raring to go for November. Now it seems that Republicans might be getting closer to matching that enthusiasm. And finally, it has been a very tough couple of weeks for Juul, which is the brand of e-cigarette your teenager probably hides in a place you don't know about. The company is already under a deadline to prove to the Food and Drug Administration that it can keep its products out of the hands of minors, or else all of its flavored products are going to be banned. Then, last Friday, the FDA executed an unannounced inspection of Juul headquarters, hauling away thousands of pages of marketing documents. Now, remember, this is a company that just two or three months ago was valued at $15 billion by big-name investors like Fidelity. Now, Jewel's in so much trouble that it reportedly just hired a new PR executive whose last job was in the Trump White House. And we're done. So much thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great National Taco Day. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata podcast.